We're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book in the Bible. It's at the beginning. It's on page 145 in the Bible that's in the back of your chair. And um, as you're getting there, we're going to read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Um, but before we read it, let's go ahead and le- let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now so thankful for rest and extra hours, so thankful for uh, rest and that you give us a seventh day, a Sabbath day to quiet our hearts and to let our minds have a respite and to be open to what it is that you're saying and doing in our lives. Lord, I just pray that we would... um, we would, we, would, we would intentionally do that. We'd open our hearts and open our minds and that in the way that you only can speak into our lives, we would let you speak. Um, would you use your words through the Holy Scripture to, to edify us, to strengthen us, to, to help us lead a life that is better, that is found in a relationship with your son, Jesus. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. <clears throat> These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and so that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And here's the part that we're really going to get into. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So if I was to ask you, uh, what verse is considered the most famous verse or verses in the Old Testament? Would would you all have an answer for that? Would you know that? I actually didn't know the answer, um, but some of the verses that came to my mind we're like Genesis 1-1. You know, in the beginning was God. This is a really important verse in that it sets up that there was a beginning and that God created it and stood outside of it and put the whole earth and, and, and world and our existence into motion. That's one that comes to mind. Another important one that comes to mind is uh, the Old Testament is Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. That not only establishes that God is this big, incredible creator, but it, it establishes the relational nature of God, that God wants to be like, uh, for us, a shepherd, that he wants to lead and guide our lives into, into good ways. Um, but but n- neither of those are actually 
how an ancient Israelite would have answered that question. If you were to ask them, what's the most important verse in the Bible? They would have actually said a couple of the verses that we just read this morning. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, these are them. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Those two verses are what were considered the most important, and they would have been the most well-known verses in all of the Old Testament. And more trivial pursuit knowledge for you right now, they actually have a name. They are called the Shema. And the Shema is really the central creed of, uh, of Jewish faith. It was the first scripture that anybody heard or memorized or recited. And in some ways it functioned kind of like the Lord's Prayer does for us today. Um, traditional Jews would actually recite this exact verse when they got out of bed in the morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And when they went to bed at night. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. And when a new child was born, some of the very first words that would have been whispered into that child's ear, one of the traditions was to whisper, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It was the first thing that these Israelites wanted the next generation to hear. They were to hear those words because they were so important and critical for who they were. And hearing, listening, that's actually what Shema means. It means to hear, to listen. Listen, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. And it isn't just like you would imagine hearing the noise, let it reverberate in your ears. It, it's, it's, rec- it's not recognizing that something's being said. It's, it's listening, meaning allow these words to sink in to your heart. Think about them. Let this truth that is being said, help provide understanding for you. And, and more specifically, let, let this truth generate in you a response, which is why there's a second part to the Shema. It isn't just, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God your, is one. It's, it's also verse 5. When you hear that, then love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul, right? Hearing precedes responding to what is heard. And, and, and it, it's a very specific response that's here. We hear the word love, and in our language and in our world, we immediately think of this emotional response, but this is more than that in the context of ancient Israel. It's actually more than that most of the time in the context of the Bible. Love was an action. Love was a willful, decisive commitment to someone or something. When, I, when it says, love the Lord your God, it's bind yourself, commit yourself, do what you can to follow God. That's how you respond when you hear this, by giving God all that you are, your heart and your mind and your soul. And it wasn't just an important verse for ancient Israelites. You may remember uh, and recognize that when Jesus was asked, what is the most important thing that's required of me in the New Testament, what was his answer? He recited the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Here, here's the thing the thing that I want to, to really hone in on this morning. So we understand that. We hear this command, but, but the question is how? If we are to love God with all our heart, how, how are we supposed to do that? And, and, and verse 6 then goes on and says, get these commands into your heart. 
Let this become part of who you are. How are we supposed to do that? And what's interesting is this passage not only gives us the command, but it then gives us the how. It tells us how that happens. Verses 7, 8, and 9 answer our question, right? These commands that I give you, here's how you do it. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frame, on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Right? That's how you do it. Has anybody seen the second episode of uh, second season of Stranger Things that just came out on Netflix? Yeah? Oh, I know it's more than just three people that saw that. It's, it's such a great show. If you haven't, that's okay. Uh, if you're a child of the 80s like me and you haven't seen it, shame on you. Uh, <laughs> it is, I will tell you, that it is so nostalgic, that show for me. Like the hairdos and the, the clothing and the music, like that little electronic music that comes on at the beginning. It is uh, such a great show. Um, uh, but anyways, in, in season two, if you're not familiar with it, one of the things that's happening in this show is that um, there, there's this thing, I don't even know how to begin to explain this, uh, <laughs> where, where they've been, there's this upside down world underneath the, the, the world that we all live in. And, uh, and it has been like the, the passageway between the two worlds has broken open and there's monsters that have invaded the regular world from the upside down. And, uh, and, and what's happening in season two is they're kind of out of control. Like they're, they're digging these incredible like wormholes in this giant maze underneath the city of Hawkins where people live. And, uh, and they're killing people. They're, they're doing a lot of damage. And so... Um <coughs> What, what this whole uh, season is about is stopping them. And in and, and one of the episodes, there is uh, one of the boys' names, Will, and he's kind of gotten, like, internally connected to this monster and these monsters. And, uh, and, and he is able to, like, bring to mind the, m- the way that they're underneath the city kind of burrowing and making trouble. And, um, and one of the things that, that they do in trying to stop this is they say, Will, can you, can you show us what's happening? Can you, can you help us figure out where to go? And so Will, like, furiously starts drawing this crazy map on eight and a half by 11 paper and, and over and over again, and they put it all over the house, and it stretches, like, through the rooms and through the hallways and on the floors and on the walls and on the ceiling. Like, it's everywhere and, uh, and, and immediately when folks walk in the home, they think this is absolutely crazy. Like, this is what you'd expect to see in the house of a crazy person. But what, what happens and why they're willing to do it is because uh, everything in this movie is, is oriented towards stopping these monsters. Like, they are willing to, to make the house and be looking like they're crazy because they know the most important thing going on right now is stopping these monsters. Okay, now maybe this is a little bit of a stretch, but here's what I want to point out. This isn't that far from what, uh, what this scripture is commanding people to do. For God's people, their highest goal, the most important thing, is to love God in action. And, and, and this is what the passage says is most important. So what it's now suggesting to us is that whatever it takes... God's people are to aim their lives towards that goal, right? 
They are to, to, to do what it takes to make it happen. Write it on your door frames and on the gates of your home, just like Stranger Things season two, right? Okay, I tried. Talk about faith when you come and go. It says, embroider God's law into your clothing. Tie it on your hands. Bind it on your forehead so that wherever you go, the laws of God, the thoughts of God are going to be there in front of you. This is supposed to be an all-consuming, important thing in your life. And you, you may be familiar with this, but there are actually uh, some Jewish folks today who, who really act, take this literally, the, the commands here. That is, uh, I don't know if has anybody seen an image of a Jewish person like that, and uh, Hasidic Orthodox Jew. Yeah, if you've been to Israel, you've seen these folks. But... Um, these guys, first thing that they will do in the morning is put on that prayer shawl over their head. And then after that, what he will do is they'll have these little boxes, and I think I'm saying this right, called the tefillin. And they will take these tefillin and they will wrap one around their arm over and over again and fix it to their hand or up on their muscle. And then they'll do another one and they'll wrap it and they'll put it on their forehead. And inside of those boxes, are, are the scriptures, so the commands of God from, from the Old Testament. And, and so they get themselves ready and they pray and, and they pray. What do you think they pray? They pray the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord with all your uh, heart and all your strength and all your soul. And, and the message that they're sending to themselves and to others, it's like saying, God, may my hands do your work and not foolish things. And God, may my mind, where this box is, do you think your thoughts and not foolish things? And, and you know, when I see that and when I read this scripture, the thing that really comes out to me, uh, and, and I hope you see it too, is that intentionality is really what God wants out of us. Th there is great intentionality in this scripture. And, and what we need to connect is, is that if we want to follow God's commands, to love God with all our hearts and minds and soul, it's going to require from us intentionality in the way that we live our lives. We have to build things into the fabric of our lives that help us follow this command. That's the whole thrust of this passage. What, what it's saying is this doesn't happen by chance. You're not just going to accidentally love God. It says you're not just going to naturally love God. We know that very naturally we don't love God, right? We easily move away, but only through intentional, path, intentional pathways that we build into our lives and then we reinforce over and over again, are we going to be able to follow this command? That's, that's what this scripture is saying. And, and that, that is true for everybody, that, that, that adults uh, from every age and stage of life, like, We've got to have intentional patterns uh, to, to follow and love God. And there are some tried and true ways called spiritual disciplines that, that the Christians have practiced for a long, long time as these patterns. And I'll just name a few. It's Bible reading and prayer. It's showing up for worship and being a part of a community and talking about the scriptures and serving others and taking the sacraments. They're, these are things that we know how to do that you've seen before. This is how the Christian community has built and fostered and, and fanned into flame the love of God in its life throughout the centuries. But what's really interesting also, I think, in this passage is that, uh, is that it specifically names children. Of all the people that God could have spoken to, all the groups and the subgroups of people within the community that were following God, the only one that God calls out 
his, his children. Verse 7, make sure that you impress these on your children. These commands that I give you, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, right? It's, it's almost like God is saying, like, this is really important for every single one of you, but let me pause and turn here and talk to all of you parents, you grandparents, the people who are investing in the lives of the next generation. This is especially important that you do this with them. They, uh, they are the ones that really need to have this intentionality if you're going to pass it on to them. And I just want to take the opportunity now to, to really step back and say this is really one of our strongest convictions here at Redeemer. One of our primary focuses is being intentional with family and kids, and, uh, and we care deeply about the next generation. I hope that you can see that how much we are giving our energy and our resources to helping kids and building intentional patterns of faith in the family and in the kids. We want kids to know Jesus. We want kids to follow Jesus, and uh, that's for the good of their own lives, but honestly, it's also for the good of the future. Like, if Jesus really is the hope of the world, our children are the ones that carry this hope into the next generation. Like, our children are the ones that God is going to call out to, to, to be planting the next churches like Redeemer or, or, or stepping in and serving vulnerable people and communities or uh, sharing about the truth uh, of God in times when we've got a confused, messed up nation that really needs to know what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, right? It's our kids that are, that are going to be carrying that into the next generation. And so kids are always one of the primary focuses of the church, and they are certainly that here at Redeemer. And, um, and I think one of the things that, that we have realized in more recent decades is this scripture that has this specific focus on the family and on parents was truer than we ever even realized. I've shared this before, but I read a book um, a few years ago titled Almost Christian that really opened my eyes to some of the things that, that, that uh, really make a difference in the life of the next generation. And this, this book was based on one of the most extensive studies of teenagers and religious faith in America. And it was a study called the National Study of Youth and Religion. And it began in 2005. It ended in 2015, which is book just came out just after that. And it tracked the lives of 3,300 teenagers in interviews and, and tried to get a sense of their views and their understandings and their practices of faith. And, uh, and that's a massive sample size to be doing interviews with, 3,300 youth. And, and what they found in these interviews, and as they looked over, I guess, 13 years, w was just incredible. Uh, here is the, the finding that has really stuck with me. If parents are only marginally Christian, in, in the words of the study, if they did not attach any significance importance to religion in their lives, only 1% of those kids ended up being faithful followers of Jesus in young adulthood. 1%. And, uh, and, and actually, we're seeing some of those statistical things happen uh, today as we see some of the shifts and trends as people identify as Christian. There's less and less people even identifying as Christian because 
you can be marginally committed to faith and have your kids do it to the next generation. It's one of the things that we've learned. But here's, here's the, the other thing. Contrast that with this. Children who were raised in homes that, that had a real commitment, that had a significance attachment to religion in their daily lives, who talked about faith at home, who, who attended church, of those kids, 82% of them were, were following Jesus into their young adulthood. That is an incredible statistic. Like, for a sociological study, like, you, you don't usually see those kind of results. Like, one of the researchers said, like, this is almost deterministic. Like, you, this, this is a, if the parents really put the focus and intentionality in it, it it's, not, it's not to say that your kids are every single time going to choose to follow Jesus, because we know that they don't. It's an individual decision that they make, but man, so much of the time, if they see it in you, if you practice it at home, that's the greatest opportunity you have to help your kids follow Jesus uh, as, as adults. And, and what that tells us, and I'm sure you're hearing it already, is that parents, grandparents, the family is the most important factor in, in passing religious on, religion on to the, the next generation. You matter so much to the people in your family. You matter more, significantly more, than anything else, right? And even the church, right? We care deeply. We do our very best to, to give the kids everything we can here on a Sunday morning, but we're secondary to what happens in the home. And, and one of the ways we, we say this here is family is your first church. And, and, and we really uh, can, at our best, only do what's secondary to what happens in the home. And we do want to do that best. Actually, one of the things that we really try to do is come alongside parents and encourage you and support you and give you resources um, to do your job as parents and really invest in the life of your kids. And, uh, and, and, and it's, just, um, it's just one of the things, it's one of our convictions, it's one of the guiding principles about who we are. And, and, and so what I want to do right now is do that very thing. I want to get practical, and I want to offer you just a few ways that you can build traditions of faith uh, in the life of your family. Here's, here's the first one. Probably heard this before, no surprise. Read the Bible and pray together as a family. Read the Bible and pray together as a family. I can't tell you how critical this is, but th there was also another study um, that just came out done by a Lifeway Research Group. And um, in this study, they also tracked faith in kids over a longer period of time. And what they did is they, they asked them, what practices did you, did you take? And then, uh, and then saw which kids were following Jesus later on. And uh, they tracked, they said, these are the 10 factors at the end of the study that we saw done in the home with the family uh, that, that really helped faith go to the next generation. You know what the, the absolute number one thing was? Reading the Bible together. R kids that followed Jesus into young adulthood read the Bible. They heard the word of God in their homes, in the church. They learned to get familiar with the word of God. Uh, it, it was, they, they, they got the Bible. They heard they heard the words of God, and, and it got into them, and it, there was nothing, actually, that was even statistically as close as this is reading the Bible together. And so, let me urge you, read the Bible with your kids, and we have resources to help you do it. Uh, this spring, 
we're actually going to do a few week class uh, called a Bible orientation. It's going to be aimed at third graders when we give them their third grade Bible. Um, but let me say, if you've got an older kid that would like to do it, we would welcome them. Let me say, if you are an adult who feels like this is a big, scary, intimidating book, and let me say, it is. It is one of the craziest, scariest, intimidating books around. It's written over centuries, millennia, and, and it's a lot to just open up and to think that you can understand it. We want to help it become more familiar, and that's what this is all about. You're welcome to come, too. Like, that is something that's going to happen. It's going to give people an overview of the scripture. It's going to help kids know how to use it. And, uh, and you can register on our website for that, that class today. That's something that's happening this spring. Another thing that we do, Thea talks about it every week, is this family bridge. This is something that is intended to bridge what happens on Sunday morning to what happens in your own patterns at home. And there is uh, information about what your kid did. It also shares like the Bible passage that they would have studied and you can take it uh, and on the back, there's, there's a devotional that you can do as a family one night a week. It's, it's a way to just read the Bible together, doing exactly what I'm talking about. You can discuss it together and then you, you, you pray together. And uh, I would just highly recommend this. Um, uh, the other nights of the week, I, w- I would recommend just reading. If you've got littler kids at home, I'd recommend just reading a Bible. Just read a Bible story every night. We love the Jesus Storybook Bible around here, but there's all kinds of Bibles that are appropriate for different ages and stages. We have some of those resources. If you've got older kids in the home, one of the things that I've seen work really well uh, that I didn't do with my fam- parents, but actually I did in another family with college-age kids when they were home for the summer is we just had a, um, it was called Barclay's Commentary on uh, a book of the Bible, like Ephesians, and you'd read it, and then you'd get to together, and then we would just kind of read his thoughts and comments, and then talk about it, and and you can scale these up and scale them down, and I would just say that kind of habit is is so important and so good. If you, I, I'd urge you to start, and don't be intimidated by starting. Just pick a route and go. And if you need help, come talk to me. Come talk to Thea our children's directors, talk to Nikki, who's our assistant director, ask your friends what they do, but get going. Just go for it. Uh, that, that's the most important thing. And here's, here's another key. Don't get discouraged when it doesn't go how you have it envisioned in your mind, because most of the time, it ain't going to go that way. <laughs> let, let me, uh, I, I've said this before, but, but this is a long game part of parenting. And, and a lot of nights, uh, it, 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 will not happen. A lot of nights it'll happen and it'll be terrible. And you'll say, why Why did we ever do this? Last night, my family didn't do it. Our kids got home late. Uh, the night before we did it and all the kids were running around and not listening and it felt like a total waste of time. And it often feels like that at our house because there are timeouts in the middle of it. Sometimes we go to the other room and um, have to uh, do something that's disciplinary that the kids are scared of. Uh, and, uh, <coughs> but but, but it, it, it's not so much what happens one night, it's the practice of this night after night after night. And, and I'll just, I, I like doing this because it shows you guys that the pastor who has done this for years and years with his family still struggles with this. So you know, like, th- that it's okay to struggle with this. 
we, we've been teaching our kids to pray at the end of our devotional time. And each night, every kid in our house has their night to pray. <coughs> and so the way we started that is I would kind of pray, or Shannon would pray, and the kid would repeat what we, what we said. And, and slowly and surely, like, they learn to repeat it. They get in the habit. They figure it out. And then we can kind of let them spontaneously pray their own prayers. So recently, um, my son Jeremiah, the second oldest, five-year-old, it was his night to pray. And, and this was his spontaneous prayer that was, um, I wrote it down, and you'll see why. He said, God, I thank you for this day. I pray that we have, that I have a good day tomorrow. God, I pray that Johnny would stop jumping around and listen. I pray that Jesse would le- wouldn't leave me alone by myself in the bathroom. And I pray that mom and dad would give Johnny and Jordan more time else to help them be better. <laughs> right? <laughs> that was from the bottom of his little heart, right? Thank you, Jeremiah. Uh, and you know, it's funny. We've added confession as the beginning of the prayer, so to kind of reverse that. But, but I mean... Uh, the fact that he even was able to give voice to things that he wanted was actually good. Like, and, and the fact that he could see it in his brothers, even if he was missing himself, is good. Like, he is making steps of faith, even in that kind of self-centered, ridiculous prayer that he prayed. And, uh, and it's just so important to keep doing that and giving kids an opportunity to do it and to, and to fail at it and to learn and process, because there's no other way that they're going to do it. You're the only one, uh, we're going to do it at church here, we will, but, but you are the only one that has the opportunity day after day to help your kids do this. And just a funny little thing, uh, Jordan also has a night, our little two-year-old baby girl who can barely talk, and so she will pray, and she always wants to pray, but what will happen is, like, I'll say the first thing, like, God, we thank you for this day, and Jordan will say, you know, in a, in a hardly intelligible way, God, we thank you for this day, you know, and then I'll say, and Lord, we pray that mommy gets better. And uh, when mom's feeling sick, for instance, and Jordan will get tired. So I'll say, God, we pray that mommy will get better. And Jordan will look at me and go, yeah. <laughs> we pray we have a good day tomorrow. Yeah. You know, she just does it over and over. And it's really cute and fun. And um, the boys laugh. It, it, nobody's praying at that moment. But, but again, like, the, the whole purpose is just to, to do it with your kids, to just get in the Bible independent of what the result is and continue to, to build this ha- habit and this pattern and this practice in, in your life. That's what makes a big difference, and it, it pays off big time in the long run. Uh, here's another thing. Plan special activities um, to teach your family faith. Plan special activities to teach your family faith. I don't know if uh, many of you all have heard of this organization. It's called Bible Study Fellowship. Um, it is a fantastic organization that, that does a lot of in-depth Bible study. And, uh, man, if you're looking for that, I would highly recommend BSF. I would love to even get one here at Redeemer one day to host one. But, um, but anyways, Bible Study Fellowship this year for Advent, somebody showed me this, is giving out like a one-page little instruction sheet that says, teaching your child the Christmas story. So the whole point of this sheet is to sit down and have a special time to help your kids understand what Christmas is all about 
which is really important because if kids just live Christmas, there's a lot of other things that they're going to think Christmas is about that has nothing to do with what Christmas is actually about. And so here's a really intentional time that you can set aside as a family to do this. And in this sheet, they actually lay out a plan. It says, choose a time, plan the content, tell the story, include biblical truths, discuss the story, repeat the story, read it aloud, have the kids read it aloud, memorize verses. Like there's really practical, good, solid things that you can do uh, with your family. Honestly, you can do it as an adult too. It, it would be great. Uh, and, and I am sure that, that you could adapt this. It looks like it's more oriented towards little kids. I'm sure that you could scale it up for older kids and include things that, that, that would be helpful for them. And, and like when you think about just setting aside intentional time, the possibilities are absolutely endless, right? For Christmas this year, you could say, we as a family are going to go serve at a homeless shelter one night. We as a family are going to go to a soup kitchen for Thanksgiving. We are offering an opportunity next week. We as a family are going to go help serve at Neighbors in Action. Uh, and, and it doesn't need to always be on a holiday. You just got to think about intentional things that you can do to get some of these really critical, important things built into the life of your family. And we're going to try to help you do this as a church, but but it's it's again, this is a thing where if you are thoughtful and intentional and you build it into the fabric of their lives, man, your kids are going to get that. Like so so f- what if one year instead of taking a vacation over the summer, you said we're going to go on a mission trip together as a family, right? <laughs> you may miss not having your vacation, but I assure you you will be sending a message to your kids. And, th- and they're going to they're gonna get it. Okay, here's, here's another thing. Be ready for spontaneous um, opportunities to talk about faith with your kids. Be ready for spontaneous opportunities. Um, you know, it's so interesting. We as parents worry so much about, like, uh, the talk, right, that you have to have with your kids that, that, that you dread or you're not sure how to approach. You know, and you know what I'm talking about, right? The talk, okay. Okay, good. <laughs> You're going to have to have the talk with your kids at some point, okay? Uh, but but you, what, what I think is so interesting is there's so many other talks that we need to have with our, with our kids, with our families, that we never think about or give any thoughtful intentionality to that kind of rise up spontaneously to. And, uh, and, and let me tell you, when you're ready for those moments, even when you're not ready and you just realize this is an opportunity and you do it, it can make such a, an, a, a, an incredible impact on your kids. Let me just share a story from my own life. It's a little bit heavy, but it, but it illustrates the point. A couple years ago, my dad had been recently diagnosed with, um, with terminal cancer, and I got a call from my exasperated brother who had just taken him to the ER after a huge bleeding episode that he was in emergency surgery, and we weren't sure that, that he was going to make it. And Shannon was gone when I got this call, and I had our two older boys, I think I actually had all three, but the two older ones were with me, Jesse and Jeremiah. And, uh, and they could tell that something was wrong, and the daddy was upset. And I don't know, um, I honestly think I did this because I needed to do it for myself, but I grabbed Jess and Jer and kind of told them that their opo was in serious trouble, and we held hands, and I said, let's pray, boys. And, and I prayed, and then, like, um, they didn't know what to say. <laughs> But I I led them in praying together that that God would be with Opa, that he would heal Opa, that we could see Opa again. And 
And uh, we got done with that prayer, and honestly, I wasn't sure what kind of impact it, it had on, on those boys. I hadn't done anything like that before, but, but what I realized later is all of a sudden they started asking me really big questions about, like, what is cancer and what's disease, and Dad talked to me about death, and, um, and those are big, scary, heavy topics, right? But, but you know what it did is when I talked to them about it, it then let me talk to them uh, about Jesus and resurrection and healing and hope. I got to share the gospel with my sons because of this spontaneous moment that it happened. And unintentionally, I, I stumbled into this, realized that this was a way for me to talk about the most important things in, in life and why, why it really matters that Jesus rose from the dead, right? And, and I just implore you, look for those opportunities, right? This is how you write it on the doorpost. When you're coming and going and you're walking, when they ask a question, don't back away from it. Even think about what are the things that I really want them to know and then look for opportunities to talk to them about it. And, and, and it will mean so much because they're going to see in you what's most important and hear from you what's most important. And it will reinforce this love of God in the way that you live your life and the way that you lead their life that will make such a tremendous impact. And man, it, it, will, help, it will help them know the only God that can save any of us. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the hope that we have in you and for the good news that we have in Jesus. And we just pray for our families that they would see in us how much you have made an impact in our lives and the patterns of, of devotion that, that you're building into our lives and that we could do that in the lives of our kids. Whatever age and stage they are, Lord, would we be able to orient who we are and what we do towards you so that they could have a firm foundation for who they become for the rest of theirs. It's in your holy name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.